0: Okay so yes it is uh, it is almost Christmas. Uh, I know some of you are excited and some of you not so much. It's okay. I know I know it's Christmas because uh, in my in my life group uh, uh, which I lead with yeah, you know what I'm going to say. Um, which I lead with Rachel who's here. Um, we had I think about a 50 55 minute discussion <laughs> deep dive on the subject of Michael Bublé. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who or what a Michael Bublé is, really, but I'm I'm concerned. Some of you, some of you are already offended. I haven't even I haven't even opened this up yet. <laughs> already offended. Um, but because it's almost Christmas, uh, we are going to do a mini series here. Grace City this week, next week. Um, it's just a, j- just for two weeks on the subject of Christmas. We are we are calling it Peace on Earth. And so if you do have a Bible, please do turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 9. And as you turn there, this morning I want us to talk about that word. Think about that word, peace. And I'm going to start actually by saying something very obvious, that everyone is after peace. Everyone in this room wants peace. Everyone out in Ottawa wants... If you were to, if you were to stop someone walking down Elgin right now and say, excuse me... Um, do you want more peace in your life or less? I, do, I don't think anyone's going to go, oh, no, uh, not, not for me, thanks. No, everyone is after peace. But no one can agree on how to get it or where to find it, right? If you asked Google, how do I get peace? What you will be presented with, because I have done this, of course... <laughs> are all these lists, all these lists um, of steps on how you can find peace, lists with, with names like 10 steps to find peace, 8 steps to find inner peace, 14 steps to find inner peace and tranquility, 25 ways to bring harmony into your relationships, 19 easy ways to find serenity and contentment, 44 steps... <laughs> 44 steps a lot of steps to finally find peace in brackets at last there are so many hundreds of steps of ways that you have to follow you have to follow follow all of them if you want to maybe find some peace out there and then what happens? If you go and you make the mistake of reading what some of those steps actually are, as I have done, I've made the mistake for you so you don't have to, well, some of these steps, they, they sound quite good to begin with, okay? Step two, find yourself. Ah, that sounds good. Wait, what does it, what does it mean? No one knows. No one knows what it means, some of them, they, found, they, they, they sound good to begin with until you, you think about them for more than two and a half seconds. Like, step 10, unset your heart. What? <laughs> unset your heart. What? That, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> if you have a pacemaker here, do, do not unset anything. <laughs> step three, do what you need to do for you. Like what? Steal some bread? Climb Everest? Punch a cat? What? Do what you need to do. Breathe? Actually, on the very same list, step 13 breathe okay no i 'll I'll give them that that one 's a good one that makes sense listen if you if you don't breathe your life is not going to be particularly peaceful <laughs> I, read, I read this other one St- uh, step five: make life affirmative plans yes, okay, that sounds good but then five minutes later i 'm reading another list, a different list and step 18 is throw your plans away <laughs> Throw your plans away but I made life affirmative plans throw them away. <laughs> You'll never find peace that way. It's too restrictive. (laughs) I particularly enjoyed this one. Spend five minutes every day appreciating how wonderful you are. (laughs) Some of us could do that for hours. Do you see... Everyone is after peace. Everyone desperately searching for peace. But yet there are so many ideas. No one can agree on where peace can be found. I mean I guess you, you, you see you see this as well in, in the kind of the famous these famous people, very successful people who, who maybe know a lot about a lack of peace and those famous quotations about Peace that you, might, that you might come across, right? So Jimi Hendrix famously said, When the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. And we read that and go, mm, That sounds, I mean, he does the whole love of power, power of love thing, switched around. Very clever, it sounds very good. But then someone else joins the conversation. Kurt Cobain comes in and he says, No, 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 no Jimmy, total peace after death. Becoming someone else is the only chance I've got. No, Jimmy, Kurt says, only when we're dead, that's when there's peace. And then John Lennon comes in. He joins this conversation on peace that has been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. And he says, all we're saying is, give peace a chance. My question is, is this really the best we can do? Is it really the best we can do when it comes to the peace that we so desperately strive for, desire? And I, I remember back in England, I quoted John Lennon. And I had a lot of people come up to me after saying, you cannot quote John Lennon and then <laughs> ask that question. You can't do it because John Lennon, he's a creative genius. He's a maverick. I don't know. i Sorry if I've offended you. I don't, know. I don't know if John Lennon is such a big deal in Canada. I don't know. I don't know who you are. John Lennon is. Michael Bublé. Probably. <laughs> I think this is a really good question, though. Even, even if that does offend you, is this really the best? Do we just have to give it a chance? Give it another shot? Try harder. Try some more different steps. And if so, how has that been working out for us? Well, what we find in Isaiah 9 is that when Isaiah chapter 9 talks about peace, it talks about something far deeper and far richer and ought to fill us with far more hope than anything we've heard so far. Let's read Isaiah 9 from verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder talk about peace, we tend to first think of of the peace or, or the lack thereof uh, or, or that is closest to us. The kind of internal peace or lack of peace, like anxiety. We think of stress. We might just have this feeling, this uncomfortable, I just don't feel okay with who I am. Or perhaps Maybe maybe we do, maybe we sometimes do look to kind of one step removed from ourselves, and we, we think about the peace, again, or the lack of peace in our relationships. We think about the, we just think of broken families, fizzled friendships, or maybe we, we look a bit further still at, at the state of our communities, and we think about the, the, the deep, breaks and fractures within, between people groups or communities or ethnicities. Or maybe we just, we, we just look at the big picture. We look at the earth as a whole, and we, just, we see a lot of war. We, we might think of what's going on right now in northern Syria. We might think of Libya or Afghanistan. You see, the, it's, it's that kind of big picture, lack of peace, that, that Isaiah is thinking about when he thinks of peace. In fact, he, we see this in chapter 9 when he zooms in on these two places, Zebulun and Naphtali. I don't know if you know much about Zebulun or Naphtali. May, maybe not. But so let, so let me set the scene, as it were, and we'll, we'll see why he's zooming in on these two places in particular. So when, at the time of Isaiah writing this, the, the golden age of Israel, the golden age of God's people, is long gone. Those... those those good old days of, of uh, you know, King David, King Solomon, of, of serving God faithfully, of, of living in his blessing, they have disappeared. They have vanished. And we read that God has brought into contempt the land of Israel because of their faithlessness. They have turned away from God. They have served other gods, and they have done horrendous, terrible things. And then we find out that Assyria, so this nation in the north, the, the kind of the violent superpower of the day, they've conquered much uh, of, of many nations around. And as part of God's judgment on Israel for, for decades of just hideous idolatry and cruelty and injustice, the Assyrians have invaded from the north, and they have captured much of the land. They, they in fact, they've brought many of the Israelites into exile, and the lands of Israel that were right on the border between the whole kingdom of Israel and Assyria to the north. The lands right on the border were Zebulun and Naphtali, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And so they were the areas that when the Assyrians sent out their raiding parties, when they sent out their armies, they would march through Zebulun and Naphtali, burning and killing and looting, they would, you know, go, you know, whether to Jerusalem or other places. And then, when they would come back to return to their land, what would happen? They would march again through Zebulun and Naphtali. So, however bad other parts of the kingdom of Israel got it, Zebulun and Naphtali got it twice as bad. So, these areas around the Sea of Galilee, they were dark places. They were the places most full of fear. The least safe and the most pitied. If you were born there, your prospects were not good. It's a place no one wanted to go, certainly not live. So it's not surprising that Isaiah, right in in the middle, right in the midst of Assyria's violence towards Israel, writes of Zebulun, writes of Naphtali as places of gloom, places of anguish. But we, it's also, Isaiah, in, in reading chapter 9, that we find that God declares that even this, even this, surely that place is hopeless. Surely that place of stricken by war, such as it was, surely that's the hopeless case. Well, no, God declares that even that place of deep darkness won't always be that way. See, Isaiah, in this next bit, he, he talks about the future as if it has already happened, which is helpful for us. As it already has there's this the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. See this this kind of lack of peace that Isaiah is talking about here it 's big I mean it is serious, but but he 's saying Isaiah is saying God is declaring that the peace that God his heart the the zeal that he has, the peace that he wants to bring is even bigger even Greater, as I even says you know it it will last for eternity. this is big peace that he's talking about here. you know we were you know looking at those steps to find peace, and I think many of us we've, we found them quite amusing because how we, we got a sense of just how individualistic they were, how selfish in a sense they were. you know do whatever you need to do for you, find yourself you know I, i, I I have the same tendency to laugh at that and go, oh, that's so individualistic, so selfish. But then I realize, how often do I think of, my, of peace in exactly those same terms? As the only peace that really matters is the peace that affects me, that makes me feel Good. Uh, you know, I, I want to have a peaceful life. I want to have a, a, a job that isn't stressful. I don't want to be anxious. These are the things that I think of sometimes when I think about peace. I wonder how many others of us here, when we talk or think about peace, only see it as a thing that concerns us. Now, does God care about that kind of peace? Does he care about the internal peace that you may or may not experience? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Does following Jesus in the long run remove anxiety and tension? Absolutely. There'll be many of us in the room who have deep, deep experiences of that truth. But in the Bible, when peace is talked about, the Bible usually isn't talking about that sort of peace most of the time. It does occasionally. But the vast majority of the time, that the peace spoken about is not the peace that alleviates anxiety. It is the peace that alleviates hostility. It's the peace that deals with war. It's with, a, with, an, with an earth that dwells in deep darkness. Naphtali and Zebulun and Galilee, they're, they're places ravaged by war, waged by the Assyrians. But also notice that, that, that Isaiah mentions in the list Galilee of the nations. Your Bible might say Galilee of the Gentiles. God isn't just concerned with the anguish, with the, with the gloom and the walking in darkness just of his people. No, God is, is, cares about that for people everywhere. And what Isaiah is doing here, he is, he's talking about one specific thing one specific place, but at the very same time, he's addressing a bigger instance of that same thing. See here, he's talking about one specific bit of darkness, one specific war and the despair and the pain that the Israelites are walking in at this particular time, but he's also addressing a much bigger darkness, a much bigger war, a darkness and a war that affects you and I. This is what Romans 5 verse 1 says. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. If we have put our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. Conversely, if we have not put our faith in Jesus, we do not have peace with God. Romans 8, 7 says that the the natural state of the mind is that it is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Hostile to God. This is strong words. If we don't have faith in Jesus, this is our state. We're fighting against God. We are at war with God. The greatest proof of this, the greatest proof that this is true is what happens. The only time that God himself makes himself vulnerable to us, at Christmas, sends his son as a baby, sends his own son as a messenger to us with terms of peace, and we shot the messenger. Of course we did. Of course, such is our war with God. We, we hate him because he's so good. We hate him for, because he's so holy. We hate him for all the reasons we should love him. See, what I'm describing here, this is our natural state. This is our inclination before we surrender to Jesus is to hate God and to war against him with everything we've got. There's no peace for the wicked. What Isaiah says in chapter 48, and hasn't that been our experience? Hasn't that been our experience? It's why Isaiah is pointing to Zebulun and Naphtali, the most hellish places of war that you could possibly imagine, and saying, can you see... Can you see being, being at war with the Almighty is like living in such peacelessness? And then Isaiah points to the brutal, the, the enslaving Assyrian taskmasters and says, don't you realize that the yoke of your burden, the staff for your shoulder, the rod of your oppressor, it, that's what sin is like. It's a yoke. It's a heavy burden. It's like a, a slaving master beating you over the head with a rod. The, re- the reason Isaiah paints such a, a stark and bleak picture is unless you know you're at war with God, you cannot have peace with God. And if you're not at peace with God, you're not going to find peace anywhere. You just won't. And do- I mean, doesn't that make perfect sense? Doesn't make perfect sense. If there is a God who created everything and at this very moment sustains everything, then where can you go to find peace if you're at war with Him? You're not going to find peace anywhere. The good news is that peace with God is available. This is the good news. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news that in this passage, God promises to take away that burden, to break that rod, just like on the day of Midian. Some of you have been around with us for a few uh, weeks, a few months. You'll remember we did a series on the subject of anti-heroes. And one of the weeks we looked at the story of Gideon. And Isaiah here says, do you, do you remember that day? Do you remember the, the day of Midian where, where God clothed Gideon with the Holy Spirit? Israel was in a very similar position. They were being enslaved. They were being crushed down, trodden down. And God says, do you remember that day? Do you remember the the salvation that I worked with Gideon through the Holy Spirit? This is the sort of victory that God says he's going to work against the slavery of sin and death. All the evidence of this war, all the the bloody garments soaked in in blood, the, the armor, it will be burned up like fuel for the fire and vanish forever. There'll be no evidence of the war. That's the kind of peace that God says he's going to bring. Oh, I, can imagine, I can imagine the people listening to Isaiah prophesy and, and, and of, of hearing this describe this incredible peace that lasts forever, that lasts for eternity, a, a peace that increases without end and being amazed and being excited and going, yes, I, I want this. How is this going to come? And then they hear Isaiah say, to us, a child is born. To us, a son uh, is, is born. And, and they say, oh, yes, I know what this means, a deliverer. Someone, a King David, a Gideon, that's who we're looking at here. But then I can imagine them listening to what Isaiah is saying and then not understanding. Hang on, what, what is this? Yet they will call him mighty God? Everlasting Father? How, how can this be? See, this is Christmas. That God gives himself to us bodily. That God himself comes to us. The the God who is high and exalted and made made everything enters this world where there is no peace and dwells with us. It's incredible. Who is this man? Well, Let me ask the question. Where does Jesus start his ministry? Where does Jesus start his ministry? This is what Luke chapter 4 verse 13 says. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. See, Jesus chooses to enter a world where there is no peace. He's the one. He is the light that shines in the deep darkness. God sends his son as a messenger of peace, and in our hatred towards him, we killed him. You can Picture the scene, Jesus being beaten by, by soldiers, and you've got the mockers, you have the scoffers saying, look at him, the prince of peace. Is this, is this meant to be our savior? Does, does our king wear a crown of thorns? This is the man who said he was going to fulfill Isaiah chapter 9. The one who would lift from our shoulders the, the burden of our oppressor, the, the rod. And look, the Romans are putting on his shoulders the, a great big crossbeam. Some deliverer being made to carry his own method of execution through the streets of Jerusalem. Don't remember David doing that, don't remember Gideon doing that. There he is, hanging on a cross. The one who was meant to save us all, and he can't save himself. See, this this is the irony of the cross, isn't it? That the one who refuses to save himself made a way for many to be saved. That through our hatred and war with God, though that demanded judgment and punishment and death, the Son of God came and us, that Jesus shouldered the the guilt, he took the burden, he took the the yoke of sin, he took our slavery upon himself, he he died in our place so that we can have peace with God. The way to peace with God, the way to the Father is open because the sinless Savior died and rose again. For those of us in the room who are already Christians, this is a peace we get to enjoy. We must enjoy this peace. We must live in this peace because it is a peace that changes everything. You know, when we are talking about all the different forms that that, that a lack of peace can be present inside, in our families and friendships, in our communities, even to the whole world, what Jesus has done, when Jesus comes at Christmas and he dies and rises again at Easter, the peace that he brings affects all of that. Indeed, the kind of the horizontal lack of peace is only a symptom of the lack of peace that, that a humanity who has rebelled against their creator has. All the other things it's just a symptom of that. Because you have peace with God, suddenly the everyday anxieties and stresses lose their ability to shake you to your core, don't they? If Jesus has risen from the dead and promised that we will do the same, then what what is there still left to fear? Death itself even loses its sting. This is the the scope, a cosmic scale of scope of the peace that Jesus brings, the eternal peace that lasts forever. So we must live in the good of this peace. See, we can't let it just stop with ourselves. This peace is way too all-encompassing for that. It's way too big. It's way too good for that. God calls those He's been he, he has given peace to to themselves become peacemakers. That where, wherever wherever you go, if you are a Christian, if you believe in God, that you carry this same peace with you. To say to our people, "Here's how I was at war with God, and here's how He graciously." has offered forgiveness to me and brought me into a peace that I could not imagine. I'm going to ask the the, the band to come and get set up. We are going to sing because when we get our heads around the peace that that God has won for us, it absolutely changes our worship. See, no no longer are we just singing some songs because it's a nice thing to do, but instead we're singing. We're utterly amazed. I used to be at war with God and he should have crushed me But he didn't. He came and he himself was crushed instead of me. See, the first sign of peace in your life is that you are constantly amazed. God loves you. In spite of your past warfare against him, constantly amazed that Jesus came and lived amongst our darkness, constantly amazed that on the cross, Jesus so utterly dealt with our sin that now we have such peace. Increasing, multiplying throughout eternity without end. And that's how we're going to finish our time here this morning. We're going to stand, we're going to have a time of singing. We're going to enjoy what God has done for us, what Jesus has won for us. We're going to take the bread and the wine in a little bit. Would you stand with me?